Hello and welcome to Brahm's show. This is Brahm and we are going through Why Christians Must Be Right, the series. Why Christians Must Be Right by Brahm French, Chapter 2, Personal Choice and Responsibility. One of the greatest tricks of groupthink and political correctness is to change the meaning of words. Drunk driving is now drinking and driving. Alcoholism is now a disease. Stealing is an impulse disorder, etc. By changing the words, the liberal elite have framed the argument to fit the picture that they would like to paint. After the words have been changed to better suit their feelings, they begin to use those words to explain why those of us that hold to biblical principles are in error. Then the tables are turned and the predator is now the victim, and vice versa. This is in complete opposition to God and his word. When the serpent in the garden beguiled Eve, and she and Adam ate of the tree, they tried to pass the buck. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. However, God held each of them accountable for their own personal actions. The politically correct movement would blame God for putting the tree in the garden in the first place. Today, we are told that the criminal is really the victim. An example of this thought process can be illustrated as follows. A woman leaves her purse in the car and a thug reaches through the open window and steals the purse. The woman is blamed because she left the purse in the car. The blame is greater if she left it in plain view, not to mention leaving the window open and the car unlocked. That poor thug, he had no choice but to take the purse. So now the woman is put on the hot seat while the thug moves on to the next victim. This thought process is not in accordance with God's law, nor do I believe it is how he intended for a society to operate. From the beginning, there were consequences that followed actions. Eve was cursed with pain and childbirth. Adam was cursed with having to live by the sweat of his brow. Both were cursed with death. And the serpent was cursed by slithering on his belly. Some now would blame God, saying things like, I can't believe God would do that to them. I thought he was a God of love. Now, God becomes the guilty party and not Adam and Eve. God ordained for man to have a free will. His desire was for them to serve him. However, he knew that forced love is really no love at all. So in his infinite wisdom, he left man and out. Let's look at the story of the Garden of Eden through a different lens. If today's political establishment was to play the role of God in the Garden, a dream come true for most of them, a significant schism would be apparent among those in power. The knee-jerk reaction from some among the ruling class would be to chop down the tree of knowledge of good and evil in order to stop the possibility that someone might eventually eat from it. But the other faction would want to tax all those that ate of the forbidden fruit. This theory of taxation is known as the sin tax. Both factions would be in error and would create unintended ramifications. If the tree were cut down by the government, people would not have the opportunity to decide to do what is right. The only situation in which we can make a decision to do what is right 
is when we are faced with choosing between right and wrong. Only then are we able to reject the wrong and choose correctly. The problem with the sin tax is that while it discourages the actions of society, government grows accustomed to the income generated by that action. Therefore, government wants no deliverance from the sin due to the possibility of lost revenue. Rather, the government would want more people to eat of the tree. Is it wrong to eat of the tree? Yes. However, it is a choice that each individual will have to make for themselves. Government has no place in the discussion. Laws are passed by government to either encourage or discourage our behaviors. Most laws that discourage our negative behavior towards others such as stealing, rape, or murder, are good laws and are appropriate in governing society. However, laws that are imposed on us for our own safety, security, or any other reason are bad laws. For instance, it's against the law for me to come into your house and steal your computer. That's a good law. But a law against me using my own computer in my own home that I purchased with my own money would be a bad law. Some laws that constrain one's negative actions against another person fail to measure up to the standards of the principle of creation. For instance, if you own a restaurant in which you allow smoking, and I am a non-smoker with asthma, who enters your establishment, the law could say that the smoke had a negative impact on me. That would be a bad law. The principle of creation would say that I could leave your establishment. That would be my personal choice and responsibility. Though I do not smoke, and I hope my children never smoke, my logic is entirely different than the logic of those who would use government to limit the liberties of others. I do not smoke because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is also why I hope my children would not smoke. True freedom only comes with the right to make the wrong choice. Laws were established for your safety, not from you, but from me, and vice versa. If the law tries to protect you from you, it's bad. However, if the law protects you from another, then it's good. Every law that infringes on the rights of others or puts the rights of one above another is strictly contrary to the principles of creation. Isn't it amazing that God only had one law in the garden? That tells me there is no utopia on earth. The closest we will ever see of a utopia is in the face of a free and liberated people. In the garden, there was only one law. Moses went up unto the mount and came back with ten. However, by the end of the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. More laws did not bring God's people closer to him, but were a sign that they were drifting further away from him. We do not need more laws. We need more God. If, as a society, we walked closer to him, we would rely more on him and less on the government for our answers. Those in power recognize this fact and realize that God must be systematically removed from society in order to maintain their power. The void that is left by the absence of God is filled by the state. As Christians, 
our desire is to have more of Him. And more of God means less government. Chapter 3, Limited Government During the time God was establishing Israel, as recorded in the Bible in the book of Leviticus, He gave His people the model for charitable behavior. Government played no part in it. When the farmer reaped the harvest, he was to leave the corners of the field unharvested and was not to gather the gleanings. He was to leave part of his harvest for the poor and the stranger. That's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 11. It was never God's will for the government to provide for those in need. Instead, he meant for the individual to provide for his home and his neighbor who is unable to care for himself. The same principle is found in Deuteronomy. If a sheaf was forgotten in the field, it was to be left there for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. As a matter of fact, God declared that he would bless the work of the hands that left the sheaf for another. The Lord then reminded Israel that they were bondsmen, slaves, in the land of Egypt, and instructed them not to forget the condition from which he rescued them. In other words, the Lord was saying, Don't forget where you came from or where I found you. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 through 22. The Bible is so clear that charity is required of God's people. It may seem reasonable for government to administer charitable giving. However, there are several reasons that this is not a good idea. One of, of the reasons is the government is less efficient than the individuals. Here's an illustration of this fact. Let's say I walk past your apple orchard, and because I'm hungry, I pick and eat 10 apples. God's word blesses this type of charity. Now, let us say that I'm hungry, and instead of exerting the energy that it would take to pick the apples from your tree, I hire somebody else to do it. Now we have a dilemma, which is contrary to God's plan for charity. The problem comes because I have to pay the man who took the apples for me. If he takes the same 10 apples but keeps some for himself, let's say four, I remain hungry because I only received six apples instead of the 10 I needed to be full. God did not want those in need to go unfed. So, in, so his plan is broken. And if the man takes more than the 10 apples needed to satiate my hunger, he has stolen from you and broken God's law. In this scenario, the government plays the part of the hired middleman. Inevitably, he, the government, takes 12 apples instead of the necessary 10, thereby stealing from you, the farmer. The government then gives me six apples, which leaves me hungry, and lines his own pocket with the fruit of your labor. This is precisely why government benefits from involvement in other aspects of our lives. The more it is involved, the more control, the more money, the more freedom it takes. The same principles that were found in the Old Testament are in the New Testament. When the church was established in Acts, the Bible said that the new Christians sold their possessions and good and parted them to all men as every man had need. That's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This was not forced upon them. It was out of their hearts that they gave. Let me point out that this was done by the church 
not by the government. Our government, any government big enough to give you what you want is big enough to take what you have. The Apostle Paul gives a first-hand account of a lesson the government should learn. He writes, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I instructed both I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians chapter four, verse eleven through thirteen. Paul speaks of knowing how to abound and how to be abased. There is no question the federal government knows how to abound at our expense. Wouldn't it be prudent if government were to learn how to be abased? This lesson must be learned in our lives. When money is short one month, what do we do? You probably cut back on the amount of money that you spend. So you can be sure that you have enough money to pay your bills. Government does not know how to cut back. Politicians only know how to raise more money or more taxes. Try this the next time you have a month when your expenses exceed your income. Walk into your boss's office and demand more money. Explain that if he does not give you the additional funds, he will lose some fundamental services that you provide. If he says no, then begin to threaten to take him to court and start looking for ways to have him put in jail. You may find yourself out of work and in the mental institution. However, this is exactly what the federal and even some state-level governments have done. Every time the government grows, our liberties shrink. In recent times, our freedoms have further eroded with every passing day as a government expands into more areas of our lives. Government has found its way into our jobs, cars, homes, and even bathrooms. We are required by law to wear seatbelts and our cars are legally limited to using only a certain amount of gas per mile, etc. Regulations have told us, regulators have told us, we must use fluorescent light bulbs in our homes and have outlawed incandescent bulbs. Government agencies are now requiring us to pack better lunches for our children when they go to public school. Government has even entered our bathrooms and told us we use too much water water, by the way, that we pay for, when we flush our toilets. Government has regulated electric companies until they are forced out of business. Then the regulators tell us that we are using too much energy and we need to cut back. Government forced banks to loan money to people who could, not, who could never repay the funds and then blamed the banks for giving the loans. The government even required some unwilling banks to take federal funds as part of the much-publicized bank bailout program. Why? Dependency produced by government money leads to increased government power. Politicians who do not want to take the criticism for their poor decisions are able to hide behind unelected officials who work for government agencies that have the ability to raise taxes through fees and penalties, as well as harass the average citizen with excess regulations. 
Does the phrase taxation without representation sound familiar? This practice, which was one reason for the American Revolution, is once again prevalent in our country. When will it become too much for us? Are we the frog that is placed in the cool water on the stove? If so, the water will slowly get warmer before it boils us alive. Every day the flames under that pot are turned up. Who will speak up? Will any of us have the courage to jump out of the pot? It is time to put the government on a crash diet. Not just the federal, but the state and local governments as well. As far as I know, I am the only one that sees some great things going on in this recent recession. The local news stations are, have been complaining about cities that have had to reduce their payrolls and lay off some of their public servants that they employ. In my opinion, this is fantastic news. What, you ask? How can this be great news? People are losing their jobs and some of them are police officers and firefighters. For now, I will use police officers to explain why this is actually a good thing. I begin with the example because police, office, police forces downsize, people become outraged. But here's how I look at it. If more police officers lose their jobs, that means there is less useless work for those who are still employed. For instance, the cop that still has his job will be busy checking out the home that was just robbed rather than giving me a ticket for not wearing my seatbelt or because the light over my license plate has burned out. It is time to remind the government officials that they work for us, not the other way around. Politicians and bureaucrats have forgotten that they are the employee of the people. They go to Washington, D.C., to our state capital and to our home city, our hometown city halls to work for us. We do not go to our jobs to work for them. It's time for our voices to be heard once again. Our taxes are too high. Government re regulations are strangling our productivity. And government has reached too far into our lives and the lives of our children.